0: All right. Good news. We're going to, our text this morning, and if you have a Bible, open it to Matthew chapter one. Good news. Our text is a genealogy. <laughs> Woo-hoo! That, was, that was pretty hypocritical of you, the way you acted excited. Um, it's not Leviticus, but it is a genealogy. And it's an interesting genealogy. There's there's two in the New Testament, there's several in the Old Testament. And if you're like me, sometimes we kind of go, yeah, 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 and I'm going to attempt to read it this morning. It's a little bit intimidating, right? Because I don't know how to pronounce Hebrew names correctly. And so that's a little intimidating. But let's just be honest. We read a genealogy and we think, okay, God, <laughs> you know, you had a limited amount of space or you chose to, you know, limit why would you take up 15, 16 verses to tell us about these people, just gives us, give us their, their names that have not walked on the earth for a couple thousand years, or in this case, even more? Why does God put genealogy, genealogies in the inspired Word of God? Did you hear me say that? In the inspired Word of God. All Scripture is profitable. It's all God-breathed. Yes? That is, our, that is our conviction as a, as a group of followers of Jesus, that the Word of God is inspired, meaning that He wants us to have this, and it's what He wants us to have, and He has purpose in it, but sometimes we struggle with the why. Well, I found this um, article, I don't know who Kevin Halloran is, Kevin, if you're listening on our live stream, thank you for um, giving us this. He, he had an article that I read that he pointed out five reasons why we don't, why we shouldn't skip over the genealogies? How many, okay, just because we want God to bless us this morning, so we're going to confess our sin and be honest before Him. How many have ever skipped a genealogy in their Bible reading? Just, we're in this together. Take a look around, okay? I think Michael Diaz Upton is lying. I think he has skipped them and he's just not willing to be honest this morning. Most of us have. Well, th- this Kevin Halloran gives us five. Reasons why not to do that, and I, I appreciate these number one, he says the genealogies show that God cares about our history. He cares about what 's happening on the planet. God is not a distant God; He is not a God that that started things off and then he kind of just let things unfold. You with me whether it 's creation and how we have changed over the years, the decades, the millennia or It's the work of redemption, government, and what's happening in culture. Don't we sometimes think that? That he's, yeah, okay, I believe in God, and I believe he started things. I believe he created Adam and Eve, and then he's kind of, take a look around. Come on, he's just kind of left us. Well, genealogists, if there is such a thing, genealogies remind us that God is interested. He does care. He is involved in our history. Number two, he says, genealogies show that God interacts with real people. Now, I think we've all been guilty of this at one point or another, too, where we question, we're reading a story, you know, reading about a guy that was in the belly of a fish for three days. Come on, that's got to be an allegory. It's got to be kind of, you know, right? Because that couldn't really happen. Is Jonah really a real person that was born? and Right? And we could, we could look at a lot of moments like that. Are these real people? I mean, come on, Abraham. He must have like walked about six inches above the ground. He's just like, you know, this father of our faith, right? Or was he just a real man, a human like us that interacted with his God? They show us that God interacts with real people. These are real people and putting names, giving names to them. You know, the genealogy is good. Well, this dude dude had a kid and then that dude had a kid and then that dude had a kid and then that dude had a kid and pretty soon, you know, we're, we're, but we're given actual names of people. Number three, genealogies show that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his will, his purposes. You ever connect with the Bible as you're reading through it and you realize, man, these people are messed up. And then you go in to brush your teeth and there's your face in the mirror and you go, oops, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He uses imperfect people for his purposes. We'll see that this morning. Number four, genealogies show that God cares about families. He cares about families. God cares about fatherhood and motherhood and marriage and, and children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, grandparents, great. He cares about families. He cares about the lineage of families, The Bible talks about blessings on generations and judgment on generations and the consequences of godliness and ungodliness, not just on the immediate, but also on the children and the grandchildren and great-grandchildren, right? You've read this in your, in your Bible? God cares about families. He chooses specific people, and then he works in those families. You remember the Abrahamic covenant. He would be a father of a great family that would end up blessing every nation on this earth. God cares about families. And number five, the genealogy of Jesus, which we're going to look at this morning, means that God understands our situation. He understands our situation. Or the word of God in another place says that he was tempted in every way just as we are. And we can come to him and he can understand. What What does that mean? It means that Jesus actually came to earth and took on human form and he was actually born. Jesus was actually in the form of a child in the womb of a woman, and he was actually born in Bethlehem. And he, he, he didn't come out going, hey, mom, you know, I finally come. You know, I'm the Messiah, which would have scared her to death. <laughs> but he was this little baby, and he was hungry, and he was cold, and he was, you know, tired and experienced everything that came with this. And he lived among us without sin and so he understands. He understands our situation. He understands our condition. Does he understand what COVID, a worldwide pandemic, means? Does he understand how that impacts our lives? Yes, he does. Because he knows what it's like to be hungry, to be cold, to be worn out, if you will, physically worn out. He's listed there in a genealogy that he was born in a lineage that was the fulfillment of a promise that God had made. Now, in the New Testament, we have two genealogies that we're not going to look at Luke, but in Luke chapter 3, you'll find a genealogy that Luke lays out, and it looks very different from Matthew chapter 1, which we're going to be in this morning. In, in Luke, Luke wants his readers to know that Jesus is the Son of Man, and so in his genealogy, he starts with Jesus So it'd kind of be, I mean, you could do both ways. There's no rules to this. But he starts with Jesus, and then he works backwards to, do you know where it goes, how far back it goes? All the way to Adam, who was created by God. And so Luke wants us to know that Jesus is fully human. He actually was born to a human mother, and he came and he lived among us. And he is a direct descendant, as we all are, of Adam. Isn't that good? That is good. It's really good because if Jesus wasn't fully human, he couldn't take my place. But he was. And Luke wants us to know that. Matthew, on the other hand, this is where we're going to look this morning, so you can join me in Matthew chapter one. Matthew presents Jesus as the heir to the throne, that he is the king. And so he his genealogy starts with Abraham. When God made the promise to Abraham to make this great nation, and he goes from Abraham to Jesus. Now I want you to notice a couple of things about this, this genealogy. You ready for me to try to read this? Okay, good. So be patient. Follow up here or in your, in, your, um, in your Bibles. And yes, I'm going to say some of them wrong, and yes, you probably have an opinion about how I should have read it. Don't be distracted by that, okay? That's my prayer this morning, is you're not distracted. But that you can just get a feel for what we're given. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Except there's no long A in Hebrew, so it's Aram. Aram, if that's correct, fathered Aminadab, now some of you that are yet to be parents should be taking note of this text because you don't need a baby book of names, you got it right here, you got it right here. Aminadab, oh my goodness, can you just picture kindergarten and the teacher? Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Solomon, Solomon fathered Boaz by, ooh this is a change, Rahab, wait a second, What's a woman doing in this list? We don't put women in in genealogies. Sorry, ladies. Happy Mother's Day. But we don't put women in genealogies. Okay, well, Matthew, okay. Matthew tells us that Boaz's mother was Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by, there's another woman. We've been infected, guys. I'm sorry. By Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. Then King David, or David, fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. And Uriah's wife, he means Bathsheba. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah, or Abiah. Abiah, Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered, because there's no J sound in Hebrew, so. Yehoshaphat. Yehoshaphat. Yehoshaphat, come on, that's a great name. Think of the nicknames for that one. (laughs) Yeah, but it's (laughs) P-H-A-T. You get that? Okay, sorry, that was on the stream. Yehoshaphat, Yehoshaphat fathered Yoram, Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. You know your history of, of Israel? This a dark, dark time. Manasseh fathered Ammon. Ammon fathered Josiah. And Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Okay, there's a marker in history for us. Then after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abiud or Bayud. Abiud. He fathered Eliakim, Eliakim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok Zadok fathered Achim, Achim fathered Eliud. Eliud, and he fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Mathan, and Mathan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, and Joseph fathered Jesus. No. And interesting. Jacob, father Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, if we're Hebrew, if we're Israelites, this is a very significant passage, a very significant text, because did you see the history? And as you're reading this, you would think of those names and you would think of what was happening in Israel. For us in, 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 in the West or here in California, we're like, man, some really challenging names. And then you, you're confusing us because you just, you did something different here, Matthew. You put five moms in this genealogy and you also made it very clear that Joseph is not the father of Jesus. Is that significant? It is, if we believe what God claims in his word, what he tells us, what he proclaims, is that Jesus was fathered by the Holy Spirit who came upon Mary. But Mary gave birth to Jesus. She carried him in her womb. She had stretch marks and, and everything that came with it. I'm just trying to pick something safe. And all that comes with motherhood, and she had birth pains and she delivered Jesus. She was his his mother. So let's go back to this, this idea that these ladies, these moms are listed here. And we, we literally, we could do a series on this. We could spend a week on each of, of these stories. And I, I want to go back to where I started. These are real people. Don't forget that. And these are stories, but sometimes the word story, we kind of, you know, like when your kid is telling you why something happens and you say, okay, now don't feed me a story, right? Which means that you're not honest or it's a fable or a myth. When I use the word story, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actual moments on this planet where people experienced life. These women are like mothers today. They're human people. So let's go back just quickly. Tamar, you know some of these you'll know. Maybe all of them you'll know. Tamar, she, her story is in Genesis 38. Wow, what a story! She's betrothed to a to a young man. They get married. He doesn't follow God, God judges him, and the, the Levitical rule was that if there were no children, then the next brother in line would marry that woman and take her as a wife, and then the first child that was born would be in the lineage of the, of the other brother. The land that he owned and all that came with, the inheritance, whatever, it belonged to that son, so the lineage would continue. You with me? It's kind of strange to us, isn't it? Yeah, and if you're a sister, you know, or a brother, you're thinking, okay, that would be really strange how that might play out in our family. But this is what, what God had given them to, in order to protect the lineage because he does care about families. He carries, car, cares about the lineage. And so the second son did some things that, uh, that um, disobeyed God, and he was judged too. And so the dad, who happens to be Judah of the boys, says to her, she, he says, go back and live with your family, and when my youngest is old enough to marry, then you'll be his bride. And she says, okay. And so she goes, well, the boy grows up, and Judah doesn't keep his promise. You know how the rest of the story plays out? Some of you do, right? It's a graphic story. She's desperate. Not excusing her, but she's desperate. And so she decides that she's going to dress a certain way that would let people know that she would sell herself, and she timed it so that when Judah, her father-in-law, came by, that's what happened, and she becomes pregnant. And he arranges to make payment, and it's going to be a goat. But in the meantime, she just wants his, his ring, his signia, basically, and his, his staff, and so he does that, and later when he has his friend take the goat and find that woman, the people of the village say, well, there's no, there's no, there's no prostitute here. There's no, and it was a religious prostitute, was the, was the, the, the picture. There's not, the place you're talking about, no, it doesn't happen. Okay, fine. And his friend comes back and says, I couldn't find her. Well, then it becomes known that Tamar is pregnant. And Judah, being a, a righteous man, would you agree with me? Says the result, the consequences of that is death. Let her be stoned. And she says, "I'm pregnant by whoever this ring belongs to." Yeah, wouldn't you like to have been in, in the in the courtroom or in the in the living room and he opens up the package and there's his ring, and he confesses that you are more righteous than I am, and she has twins, and Perez is one of those twins, and he's in this lineage in the lineage of Jesus. I I tried to capture, best I could, each of these, a a word that might describe each of these ladies' lives. And for Tamar, I chose a beautiful picture or portrait of grace. If you're taking notes, we're going to mention that. For each lady, a portrait, a beautiful portrait of grace. Isn't grace a beautiful thing? Do we understand what grace really means? Because some of us are still stuck with, on the word prostitute. Yeah, but some of us are stuck on that. On, well, hold on, and you, you've allowed your mind to play out a little bit what actually happened in that moment. And that's where we get stuck. And then for many of us, after that, we go, ho, 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 ho. Huh. And we'll say something like this. By the grace of God... <laughs> If we say that, then we don't understand the grace of God, do we? Do we? You with me, or are you still back? She's a beautiful portrait, a beautiful picture of God's grace. We can, we can debate, we can try to judge her actions, we can try to debate it till the end of time. And if we do that, we've missed the point of why this story is here, why this woman is included in Jesus' genealogy. It's a picture of God's grace. Grace is not limited to what we think it's limited to, right? If we're honest, we have two lists. We have the list over here, whoa, don't go there. And then if I'm honest, I have a list over here that, okay, I know I'm on here in a few places and God will forgive me. But over here, Tamar is a mother, is the mother of Perez. She was a forgotten, ignored widow. She was sent back to her family. She is guilty of deception and manipulation, taking things into her own hands. She had been rejected by her culture. She was a desperate woman. And yet God stepped in and placed her in his son's lineage because of grace. The second mom listed here is Rahab. At this point you might think, well, we got a theme going here, right? Because we remember Rahab. Rahab was a Canaanite. She did not know God's law. She did not know Jehovah. But she had heard about him. She had heard enough about him that when Israel sends in spies to see if they can take the land of Canaan, specifically the city of of Jericho, which had never been defeated historically until this moment, they send in spies. You know the story, right? She hides them at a very high cost to herself. Death. She risks death. She hides them, and she says, when you conquer us, and I know that you will, would you just remember what I've done? Really, what her testimony is in that moment is that Jehovah, Yahweh, is going to destroy our false gods. The people who obey and follow Yahweh will defeat those who worship and follow these false gods. Her whole culture, her whole life that she had known. She goes, I know that. And so I'm putting my hope, my faith, my trust and you guys. I love what James tell us, tells us in chapter two of his, of his epistle. He says, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Remember Abraham? He took his son, his only son, and he took him up to a mountaintop, and he was willing to sacrifice him. Right? Why did he do that? Hebrews tells us that he believed even if he killed his son, God could raise him from the dead. God would take care of it. God would keep his promise to build a great family through his offspring, Isaac. You with me? Wow, James, that's a great example. Yes, we're all children. If, if we're a, a, a child of faith, we put our faith in God, then Abraham's our father, right? Israel, Gentile, doesn't matter. He's the father of faith. He, and this is why God calls him, he gives him grace. And then he sets them up as an example of what it looks like to live by faith. You tracking with James? This is good, right? This is an encouraging message. It was credited to him for righteousness, and he was called God's friend. I love this, James. I'm so encouraged. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Amen. You've been telling us, James. Paul says faith or salvation is by faith alone. James says it's by faith alone. But it's a dead faith if there is an evidence that that faith is genuine. Is that fair enough? Bringing those two voices, those two theologians together. And James says, if you, you can claim you got faith all day, but it needs to be seen in your life to be vindicated that it's true, that it's there. Abraham went up that mountain, and he raised his hand with, with the knife. Faith with works. And he was justified not by his works, Paul says, or James says, but by his faith. Oh, isn't this good? This is so encouraging. In the same way, wasn't Rahab, not my words, wasn't Rahab the prostitute? Oh, it's so judgmental. Wasn't Rahab the prostitute? It's truth. Also justified by works that her faith was seen in what she did. When she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route, she protected them, hid them, sent them out. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works or evidence is dead. You see what he does? He takes Abraham, yeah, and he stands him right alongside of Rahab, the prostitute. You know, this message was, man, James, we, we were tracking with you. Let me summarize Rahab as a beautiful portrait of faith. A beautiful portrait of faith. We don't know what she heard about Yahweh and what, how it came to her, but it's very clear when you read her testimony that she's trusting in Yahweh. Everything around her, the authorities around her, her, her own culture, her own people, her own business, her own livelihood. She's putting all that on the, uh, laying that all aside and saying, I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. Jehovah or Yahweh. Right? Do you see it? And God puts her in, his, in the lineage of his, of his Messiah, Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful picture of faith. The third one is Ruth. You see Ruth there? We love Ruth, don't we? Oh man, what an example. She's the mother of Obed, but do you realize she's a Moabite? Yeah. Do you know the origin of the Moabite people? Incest. Yeah. That's how it started that nation, that group of people. And God at one point said, No bite will ever serve in my in, in leading worship in my in my temple, my tabernacle, my No. Ruth is a Moabite. That's how she was raised. That's her culture. That's all that that's all she knew for the, the early years of her life until she's married. And you know the story, right? Elimelech? I just blanked on his name. Does that sound right, man? Stop talking to your wife on Mother's Day. uh, Who was the guy that went to Moab with his two boys? Was it Elimelech? Does that sound right? Sound good? Okay. If it's wrong, it's his fault. If it's right, it's my fault. He goes with his family because there's famine, and he brings two sons, and they both get married to Moabite women. One of them is Ruth. They both die, the two boys. Naomi, you know that name. Naomi comes back with her two uh, daughters, and one says, I'm going to go back, but Ruth says, I'm going to go with you, and your God is now my God. And you know the story. We don't have time to unpack all of it. But we've got to mention Boaz, don't we, ladies? <laughs> wow, that was the best response in the last 10 years. Yes, oh yes. Oh my goodness, Boaz. <laughs> Come on, he's the, he's the he's the dude, right? He's a great businessman. He's got a great, you know, he's he's well off because he's a good businessman and he's compassionate and he's generous and he cares about people and he is smitten by this young widow named Ruth. Is he not? Do you remember It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible where he tells his workers, hey, just drop a few extra stuff because she's going to be coming behind. There's a rule. Once you harvest your field, you leave some or if you miss some on the edges, don't touch that. And then those who are are poor and they need food to feed their families, they can come and they can pick up what you missed. And he goes to his workers and he goes, first he goes, well, you know what? I'm running out of time, but I'm going to say this. He and my wife's going to kill me. He says what I said the first time I saw my wife. She was out here playing volleyball. She was in the college group. And I said, Who is that? To my friend Paul Orca. And Boaz goes, Hold on a second. I know you're giving me the, the weekly report, but who is that? That's how it starts. And then he says, Hey, just drop some stuff, you know? Be sloppy today. What? What's that, boss? I want you to do kind of not as good a job today. Seriously? Yeah, just today or whenever she's here. It's a beautiful, beautiful love story, is it not? She is a beautiful portrait of redemption because everything is working against her. Her her background, her culture, her lineage, um, her people are under judgment of God. Her husband has died. She's a a young widow. She has no children. Now she's back in a foreign country, foreign culture, and she doesn't understand what's going on. And her and her mother-in-law have no way to provide for themselves. Life's a mess. And God sends, sends Boaz into her life And you know the phrase, right? He is, in fact, the kinsman redeemer. He is the redeemer relative of that family. You know how it plays out. It's a beautiful portrait of redemption. We come to Bathsheba. We know Bathsheba. We know the story of Bathsheba. We don't know everything we'd like to know. We know that she lost her husband in battle because the king wished it, commanded it. We know that she was unfaithful to her husband with the king. You with me? Don't, these are the moments where we start kind of justifying and, and rationalizing and figuring out, what, you know, what do we do with this? What do we, you know, oh man. This is life. This is real life. These are real people. And Bathsheba is what she is. And she commits sin with the king and the king commits sin with her. And then we know what God does, but Notice in, or just write this down, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, the baby that is conceived in their unfaithfulness, God takes that baby home to be with him. But then David comforts his wife, he is intimate with her, and she gives birth to a son, and she names him Solomon. I think one of the reasons God gives us genealogies is because he wants us to see the big picture. He wants us to, because we, and, and rightfully so, in these moments, like, wow, that, that's destructive behavior. That's sin. we got to deal with that. But sometimes we get stuck there, and even if there is repentance and confession and restoration, things can follow us around. Right? The whole scarlet letter, and that person can struggle, and then the rest of us like, oh, yeah, here comes Bathsheba. Oh, we all know about Bathsheba. Meanwhile, God puts a child. He creates a child in her womb. And that child is born. And that child is called Solomon. And God is going to tell us here and other places, listen to this. The Lord loved him. You see it? He loved him. See, we're still stuck over here, right? David, what in the world? How Adultery, murder, Bathsheba. Women are going, why didn't you just say no? Right? we're, We're over here. And God... Because of his grace and his mercy and his, his eternal purposes, he's over here. And I, I summarize Bathsheba as a beautiful portrait of restoration. Because she's going to be the, the, the mother of the king. The wisest man that ever walked on this planet. A man that God says, I love this guy. I love this guy. You said, so hold on, but Solomon's going to really blow it too, right? Yeah, keep that in mind. God, does God know that? And yet he says, I love this boy. Finally, we come to Mary, moving to the end here of this genealogy. Mary, the mother of Jesus. I've got to read these words. I know my time is, is gone. I'm going I'm to cut some stuff. But I want to read this. Mary is told by an angel that she is going to be pregnant, and she's never been with a man. And everything in your life is about to change, and most people are not going to understand when you tell them, well, yeah, I'm pregnant, but I've never been intimate with a man. Yeah, right. Come on. Let's just be real. All this is unfolding and she's processing it. The Holy Spirit says to her, the one that is going to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. And I've already been working in Elizabeth and, that, and she's going to have a child. That's going to be John the Baptist. For nothing is impossible with God, the angel tells Mary. Listen to her response. I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. She's probably 13, 14, 15 in that age, rate, right? that range. Mary's a beautiful portrait of obedience. Now I got I to wrap up, but moms, I, I want to make sure that you ca- catch those words. Did you, did you catch them? There's a portrait of grace. that's Tamar. There's, there's, a, there's a portrait. Where would I put my notes? Here it is. Of faith, I want to get them in order. There's a portrait of redemption, there's a portrait of restoration, and there's a beautiful portrait of obedience. I think that we are, could legitimately take those words and say, moms, that's motherhood. Okay? Well, I, I need to learn all this stuff, and I need to know this, and you know, and yes, there's a trillion little things you've got to learn as a mom. So that your kids survive. (laughs) You know, our mothering and fathering. I get it. But maybe we could summarize motherhood with this. Those words of grace and faith and restoration and redemption and obedience. And moms, if you'll walk with God or moms to be or grandmas or spiritual moms. If you'll walk with God in those parameters of grace and restoration and redemption and faith. And obedience, that's what it took for them to be listed in this genealogy as moms that God chose to continue the lineage of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? And maybe husbands, fathers. Stephen, if you want to prepare your team to come, I want to begin to wrap this up. Fathers, husbands, boys, young men that aren't yet married, shouldn't be this the measurement that we use? Come on now, I I see women (laughs) saying yes, but I want the men to go, yeah, that's how I need to love and serve my wife, or the mother of my children, or my mom, or my grandma. Grace, faith, redemption, and restoration, and obedience. If you're a young man looking for your bride, there's your list. A woman that's living like that, and experiencing that in her life. I had a bunch of other stuff. I'm gonna stop there. I think that's where we will conclude this morning by saying thank you to moms. I know you're not asking for it, but the reality is as I look around and I see my brothers, we we fail to say it enough. To our moms and to the mom mother of our children, to the women in our life that God has given the beautiful, beautiful capacity to give life. Don't forget that, guys. I know we're in a time where we're, we're trying to redraw the lines, and, and, and this is not political. But God has, has given us a design that is good. So a man and a woman is good. It's by design. And fatherhood and motherhood is good. And God has given women this capacity that he's not given us. Praise God. But he's not given us. That's his design. That's his beautiful display of his love for us and his eternal plan. So that this beautiful creation called humanity would continue. Until he brings our history to the conclusion that he has promised to bring it to. Would you, would you just bow with me? Let's, let's pray together. And Unveiled is going to lead us in, in a time. And we are going to have communion in just a moment. So I encourage you to prepare your hearts for that. Father, thank you for your grace. Forgive us for not receiving it on your terms. And forgive us for not giving it to others. To those that are different from us, those that behave in ways that we have, were are confident is dishonoring to you, and in many cases it is. But Father, forgive us for not giving grace the way that we expect and desire for you to give grace to us. Father, I pray specifically for moms and spiritual moms and grandmothers and moms to be this has been a hard year for, for moms 2020 all the changes all the challenges all the, the moments that and and I I know that there are moms in this room that are feeling guilty over some of the decisions some of the reactions some of the, the moments over this last crazy and, and even presently and moving forward what it looks like to be a mom and I could have and I should have and why didn't I and Father, I pray that you would just pour grace into our moms today. We are truly thankful. I am truly thankful for the mothers in this room that have loved and served their kids over this last season. And in the year to come, would you bless them, Father? Would you encourage them? Would you speak these words, grace and faith and restoration and redemption and obedience into their hearts, into their thinking? Speak to them right now, Holy Spirit. Remind them how deeply they are loved, that you are present with them. You've not left. You're not ashamed of them. You're not disappointed with them. You love them. And you're still looking to them to love and serve the children that you've blessed them with. Your plan is still for them to be the model, the, 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 the example your intent is that they would be channels of grace for their children. And God, those of us that are adults, would you pour into our moms so that they would continue to be channels of grace for us? You are present. Thank you, Jesus, for being present. It's what we, it's what we cry out for right now. We seek to worship you. In Jesus' name.